Welcome to All Things Tibet, a podcast hosted by Taylor and Brittany. We'll be coming to you with brand new episodes every Tuesday. If you want to tweet along as you listen, feel free to use the hashtag AllThingsTibetPod. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Right, we're live. We're back. You say that like people are actually listening to this live. <laughs> well, we're back after what feels like, a, I mean, seriously, a long hiatus. Being, it does. I it's literally it. only been two weeks, but it feels like no it's way. Been... I think it's been like four weeks since we felt like since we recorded. Oh, since we recorded, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you meant like since I was like I only missed two. I promise. No, no, no. Since we recorded, because remember we were so far ahead. Oh yeah. Now, now we're just right on track. Yeah. Now we're not ahead at all. Yeah. So yeah, we're we're back and we're talking today about season one episode. What's the title of the number? Lawfully. I have the title is Lawfully. So last night Taylor sent me a message and said, oh, so we're just going to be bitching about Melvin for 90 minutes on this episode, (laughs) which is pretty accurate. Yeah. To be fair, he's horrible. Oh, yeah. So uh, like I told you before, I don't have like a ton of notes for this episode, but what I will say is I feel like while there wasn't like a ton of time spent on Tina and Beth this episode, I felt like it was significant scenes that we did see, like significant insight into them as a couple, into this very problematic relationship that's ongoing with Melvin and Beth and like Tina being stuck in the middle of it. One of my favorite scenes I would say of the whole series is at the end with Kit and Melvin. And we'll talk about that when we get to it. But yeah, like I said, I don't have a lot of notes because I just felt like it was just a lot of really profound things to watch. I, I think now, especially for me, like, because we're doing this podcast, I look at the show differently than I ever did. Yeah. I feel like I'm watching it for talking points more so yeah. than like watching it like in an organic fashion. Do you feel like that at all? I think I've been watching TV like that for a long time, just because sure. like my actor brain turns on or like my creative writing brain turns on but it's definitely yeah I think you put it well that it's it's watching for talking points which even is different from you know actor creative writing brain it is a different kind of watching so yeah I definitely I definitely get you yeah there were many times when I was watching this particular episode because I did watch the whole episode where I made notes where it's so obvious that there were straight male writers. The scene, not Tibet related, but the scene when Jenny is saying to Tim, if you leave me, I think I'll die. It's it's mind-blowing to me that Jenny Schechter is saying that because we see her progress into just this like ultra like feminist character throughout the rest of the series. And everybody has mixed feelings on Jenny's character. I know a lot of people don't like her, but like I think Eileen put it best. And even I think Kate Menig has said it at some point, the show would not have been the show without Jenny. Absolutely. So much of the show from her perspective and her character, much like Tibet, much like Tina and Bet, is from a different universe in season one. Like granted, she was going through a lot of, of her own stuff, like trying to figure out who she was. But like, she is just 
an alien to me in season one. Yeah, she's like, I don't even know what it is. Like, A, she's timid, Mm -hmm. which is not something that I ever associate with Jenny in literally any other season. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I actually hadn't thought of that, but you're right. It is very weird how not Jenny Jenny is. Yes. And just some of the things she says and does. And like another really profound way that I can see there was straight male writers in the writer's room season one is that any time two female characters who are involved have like more than five minutes alone, they're fucking. Yeah. <laughs> and like that is just not realistic. And it also could be that like I'm coming off of several weeks of watching like over a hundred episodes of the Fosters. So I was like watching like <laughs> vanilla with vanilla sprinkles, ABC family. So, like, what I recognize is that like, you can show two lesbian women without much sex scenes at all and their characters can still be very compelling. Yeah. And that's very true in the characters in the Fosters, Steph and Leah, Adams Foster. But I, re- I recognized that right away when I was watching this episode last night is like, they took every opportunity that they could for just to show women fucking. Yeah, any opportunity they could. Like, it just became so obvious. Like, one second, Marina and Jenny are reading, like, Jenny's draft or whatever. And then the next minute, they're just, like, fucking. And then Tim walks it. Like, I know that it's, again, it's TV. Like, I get it. But I feel like as the as the series progressed, the sex scenes seemed more meaningful than they did. Right, because they were motivated. It yeah. wasn't just, like, this weird fetish oh, let's have the two women hook up. That's yeah. hot. Jennifer Beals talks about this a lot, that for her, a sex scene always has to mean something. Yeah. And if it doesn't, why is it there? Yeah. And the season one writers clearly did not get that memo. No, they did not. They just missed that completely. But it also makes me believe that Jennifer probably put her foot down because even in season one, her sex scenes were meaningful. Yes, absolutely. Even with the plumber. I mean, like, that was to show that there was, like, an, an affair, infatuation, like, that lost her fucking mind. Well, and, and it's like, it, when we had Amber on, it's like she said, too, like, it was about giving up control, right? Yeah, yeah. And controlling giving up control. Yep, absolutely. Oh, look at Leisha Haley just posted a picture with Laurel and Jennifer, and there's no masks. <gasps> what? Yeah. Hold on. I need to see this. Look at it. Oh my God. Cry. (laughs) Tina and Alice are finally seeing each other. Mm -hmm. I'm in a bet and Tina sandwich to bet. Hashtag to bet. Leisha, I swear to fuck. (laughs) This is not the first time this has happened when we've been recording. I think we have some mojo. Between this and the selfies we have manifested. Yeah. Aww. They all look so great. They do. It's really not fair. And that color on Laurel is going to be the death of me. I know. Isha looks so great this season, too. Well, last season she did, too. Look at them. I mean, they're just flawless. I hate them. I hate them all. All right. So, let's Episode six. (laughs) I'm ready to make that picture of the three of them my background, but anyway. Okay. So, first episode that we see is Tina about to puke, running into the bathroom, and Bet is like, are you okay? 
obviously she's not like she it's so phone. funny because that's her literally her exact tone of voice yeah yeah w- one of the notes i made too is that it's interesting to me how like once again bet porter is this hardcore fierce lesbian woman she's in control in her career like she's a badass bitch right but when it comes to her dad her personality changes so much. We saw it shift when she was on the phone with him when she's like, hi, daddy. But yeah, her voice like, changes. Her voice changes. And also, I just feel like when she's physically in Melvin's presence, she is like overcome with this like sheer stress and anxiety. You can see that yeah. she's just walking on eggshells and we know why. Because yeah. Beth has always been like loved and adored by her father for everything in her life. But the one area that she cannot get him to come around about is the fact that she's a lesbian. So, yeah. I mean, she literally gets smaller. I feel like, yes, she turns into a child again. Like her voice gets higher. She like kind of curls in on herself and it's really kind of heartbreaking to watch, you know, as much as, you know, warning to the Bet fans. I, I'm, I, I'm not going to be nice to her this episode, but I yeah. will give her that. That despite how much she drives me fucking insane in this episode, I understand where it's coming from, and like Jennifer plays it in a way that it actually, even though I'm angry at her, actually mm-hmm. really sad. Well, and I, I mean, I get it. There is something about like a, a connection with you and a parent. I remember just me as an individual, we just got our new SUV that we still own today. And I was backing out of my driveway and I like hit the brick wall and scraped it with a black car. And I just panicked. Like this car had like less than 5,000 miles on it. Brand new. I just went into a sheer panic. And what did I do? I called my mom. And the minute I heard her voice, everything broke. And so I can relate to that in that like, Beth grew up with her dad. Like her dad was her primary caregiver. And so in a way she has this like very natural response to him. Like she's his baby, but like there is still this very true reality that this woman that she loves more than life itself, he is not accepting of their relationship. So she's so torn. Mm -hmm. She's so torn between. It's clear even from episode one that she's so conflicted on her feelings with her relationship with her father. Yeah. And we see I think it more towards the end of the episode when she's talking with Kit. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, we'll talk about this a little bit more <laughs> when we get there. But I think the line that I keep thinking about is later on when she is talking to Kit and Kit says, what do you trade to feel his pride? That to me is their entire relationship in a nutshell. Yeah. And I think Bet has just been in such denial about it almost mm-hmm. because I think it's that sort of thing where like clearly Melvin doesn't visit that often. Yeah. And so I think she thinks that she can just keep Tina and Melvin in two separate boxes and you know, okay, maybe it's a little awkward when they have to come together, but it doesn't happen that often, so it's fine. Yeah. But that's not how anything works. So Yeah. Well, I mean, anybody who has ever had a relationship that's strained in your family where you're like caught in the middle where like say a sibling and your one of your parents is not talking and then like you're caught in the middle of that because you're still in touch with both of them it's it's a lot of those feelings and then you add on the, the layer of the fact that like this is 
this is Beth's, not by legal standards at this point, but like, this is her wife. And it's not like they're just, you know, got together six months ago. At this point, they've been together for over seven years. And so it's watching the scenes with Melvin is, it's tough. It's tough because you just see Beth wanting and longing with everything that she has for him to accept this part of her. And he, you know, so she she overcompensates in other areas, right? Like, yeah these great yeah. things I'm doing with my career and this and the house and this and that, but like, it's never going to change how he feels. Right. So. Right. And Kit tries to tell her that. And, you know, probably again, we talked about this a little bit in the bed episode, but there's always that part of you that hopes mm-hmm. that if you're just perfect enough, yeah. that somehow they will unwrite all of that, bigotry and dislike that they've had for decades yeah and they and they can't yeah i mean they can but it's very very rare as someone who has had to sort out a lot of the traumatic things that have happened in my life that can be one of the hardest stages to get to and i think that bet recognizes that that she recognizes it some in this part of the of the season but definitely by the time we get to season two, she is wrestling with the fact that she is never going to get an apology from her father that she knows that she deserves for all of the times that he dismissed Tina and their relationship and their baby. And I think that Beth does a better job as time goes on standing up for herself against her dad, but it's hard. Hard to go to bat with your parents, especially for Beth, because it's not like she has her mom to back her up. Or even Kit. I mean, she doesn't know at this point at the end of the end of the episode that Kit is going to back her up, but she's kind of alone with it's just her and her dad. And it sounds like that's how it's been for many years. Right. So still fuck Melvin. Yes. And still bet what are you doing in this episode? But <laughs> I understand why you're doing it. Yeah. And so they're having this conversation in the bedroom a little bit later where Tina's still not feeling well. And they're talking about last names for the child. And personally, if they were ever going to do the combo of their last names, yeah, I like the last name Kentra. I think that they should have gone with it. Maybe I not, agree. Maybe not poor Tard, but jeez. Uh, <laughs> <I, laughs> clearly the dog doesn't like poor yeah. Tard either. <laughs> and I also just like when Tina's trying on dresses to try to figure out like what she's going to wear. Season one, Tina is just so innocent to me. Like she just, mm-hmm. her face, I know we talk about it all the time, but like she's got such a baby face in that moment. In that particular scene, like you can really tell she's just so young. Yeah. She just, she's so young. I mean, and now it's been what, almost two decades since then. Yeah. Um, But man, she just looks like a baby. She does. She does. She's and so like, oh my God, her face when like, Kit comes over and gives her the vitamins and like her face when she gives Kit that hug is just like the purest thing. Yeah. She's tiny. It's adorable. Yeah, I've never seen anybody so excited about vitamins before. I <laughs> know. So. You know what's interesting about that like scene in the bedroom is that there's a couple of interactions that I think are kind of interesting and one of them is when Bet is so adamant that Melvin is going to be excited about the baby. Like, she's like, he's going to be so excited. And I believe what I wrote in my notes was, 
Why do you think that, Bet? It's like the same exact bullshit that she spewed when Tina told her that she was engaged to Carrie and Gen Q and she's like Angie's <laughs> it's gonna fine. be thrilled. It's like she just <laughs> had to like fill like she had to fill the silence with words and it's complete bullshit. Angie was not thrilled. You're acting like Angie's gonna throw them an engagement party. Angie is not thrilled at all. So <laughs> it's like the same energy. Yeah it could also be like that thing where you have that hope that like if you just repeat something enough yeah. it'll somehow be true yeah well if you're if you're just delusional enough this will happen right exactly i also thought when tina says you know how your father is and bet goes how is he and tina just doesn't respond well and you can see like the anxiety in bet creeping up even more because as these scenes with her and tina progress there's two different bedroom scenes that happen before they actually go and get him, Bet is just getting more and more short with her. Like she didn't like the fact that she told Kit about Melvin being in town. She didn't like what Tina was wearing. She just had like this edginess to her that it was just so sharp. I felt like the episode started with her in a very relaxed state. And then as time went on, like the closer they got to her dad getting there, she just became more and more short with her. Yeah. So... They go and pick him up and Bet's on the phone with him and she keeps saying, Tina will wave, Tina will wave. Tina did not want to wave to this man. No. She had <laughs> One no of the things I wrote was it. Tina's face, <laughs> Laurel's face, the in, that entire like car ride was hilarious. Yeah. Every time the camera was on her, she just looked so done and exhausted and just fed up even though Melvin had just gotten there. Yeah. And it made me laugh really hard. And then she, he gets in the car and she's like, this is from Bet," just like throws it at <laughs> him. But also what drives me insane about that is that Bet makes her pregnant wife sit in the back seat. Listen, I know Melvin's old, but like she's pregnant. Yeah, I know. You could at least help her into the bag or something. Oh, I don't yeah. like, I don't know. Just it's, it bet in the blinders, you know? Yeah, totally. It's like she can only focus on one thing. And because she has to put all of her focus on Melvin, mm -hmm. Tina's just like wall decoration, basically. Oh, yeah. And Tina needs to do exactly what Bet needs her to do. Like the thing that I thought was so telling was when, Tina said, you didn't tell me what I'm supposed to say or not say. And Bet's like, well, I shouldn't have to. Well, you should just be able to read my mind, Tina. It makes me think a lot about season four when Jody and Bet are having a fight at the after the dinner party. And Bet says, I want a partner who works with me. And Jody says, you want a partner who works for you. Yep. And that is like when Bet is at her worst, that is who she is. As yep. a partner, as a person, as a friend, like she wants to control everything and everyone and we know that that's a defense mechanism for her we know that it's her anxiety because the reality is is that she can be the best you know she can be the best friend the best partner all these things but like when her anxiety creeps up she just becomes this unrecognizable person yeah and it, i think this episode is a perfect example of it being her anxiety because mm -hmm. the source of that anxiety is so clear. 
Absolutely. You know, we know that she's at this very, very heightened state. And then she starts to act like the worst version of herself. And in this episode, the parallel is so clear that it really is her just being like, I'm really anxious. So I am going to just like death grip everything in my life so that it's perfect, so that I'm perfect, so that my dad loves me. Yeah. I think of so many times when Beck gets in this like frenzied state, right? And like deep down, you know, that she is just like trying to protect. She's always in like a fierce defensive mode, right? She recognizes that these are not like good traits about her, but then sometimes she'll get defensive about them. Again, just like jumping ahead to season four when they're sitting on the patio and, and Tina says like, you're a control freak. And she says, everybody's a control freak. Yeah. That's After Beck literally asked her, tell me what I did wrong. With me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, bet. Bet, bet, bet. So they're at this dinner and Bet wants Tina to tell Melvin the news of them being pregnant. Yeah, I wrote that down and I wanted to ask what you thought of that because Just very I mean, I think it was I think it was Bet's way of trying to show that they're like united and that mm. like Tina's carrying the child. But I think also it's a little bit delusional. It's a little bit like how Bet said, like, he's going to be so happy. She knew that this conversation was not, she had to know for as like much as she was trying to act like everything was hunky-dory, like she had to know that this was not going to be a pleasant conversation to have over, you know, fish. I also think one thing that's really weird to me about that dinner is that moment where Melvin's like, kind of supportive like not of them but like of bet when he's like you're my child and you can do anything that you set your mind to yeah i was like first of all where did that come from second of all i think it says a lot about melvin as a character and how he probably shaped bet in that that is how the scene starts Mm -hmm. and then instantly basically in the next beat it's are you happy that you're pregnant? That's not my grandchild. It's just so fast. I mean, he gives her that compliment, which standing alone would be a pretty strong compliment, right? Right. But his way, he he says it because he's basically calling her foolish for the fact that she thinks that she's the mother of this child that Tina's carrying, even though it has no biological relation to her or him. It's really sad. It's just really sad to me that we know, because we've watched the show, we know that ultimately Melvin never accepted the fact that Bette was gay fully, never accepted really Tina, never got to meet his grandchild, you know, what have you. But it's just sad that he thinks that her being gay is a failure. That is so sad to me. Yeah. And not even like a moral failure. It's like a a mental failure yeah yeah like it's holding her back from something like if she were just with a man and like had her own children biologically like that would make her a better person yeah which like melvin have you met your daughter can you picture her pregnant because yeah that terrifies me yeah i mean it's just like i said it's sad it's it makes a lot of sense. The more we get to know Melvin as time goes on, it makes a lot of sense that that is the way she is. Oh my God. Yeah. Like you can just put it together pretty easily. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that to her credit tries so fucking hard to 
be like, you know, we're starting a family. This is something we've been trying to do for a very long time. And like Melvin's just not, not there for it. And I think it's also very telling. <laughs> like at the beginning of the scene, he asks Tina what she thinks about Bet. Like, bruh, you know what she thinks about Bet. Like, right. What? Bet's decision making at times reminds <laughs> me a lot of a conversation I was having recently where a friend was talking about how the United States of America is notorious for getting themselves into such fucked up situations and then saving themselves from said situations, right? So like the United States was leading for God knows how long with COVID cases for the last year, right? <laughs> but yet somehow we're making incredible strides with the vaccine. I mean, I'm living in the state where we're second leading in distribution, like present day, any person over 16 can get the vaccine. You can walk into any pharmacy, any community center, make an appointment. It's all set, right? Like Joe, Joe Biden, our president said, everybody's eligible, but like, and I'm not blaming Biden. I'm blaming the last administration big time. Yeah. But like we got ourselves into this fucking mess. Yeah. And now 80% of the world is on the do not travel because they have too many COVID cases list. I mean, and the the thing is, is that you and I are very much pro-science and I would have gotten, there's there's somebody, what did somebody say? Like, I would get like the Pfizer vaccine every other day if it meant like we were going to get out of this mess. That's very much the the stance I come from too. But you can't blame people for being skeptical about the fact that this is going on because six months ago we were in the hottest mess of all the messes and now all of a sudden we're leading. It is just such a clusterfuck. So I say all that to say that that oftentimes reminds me, that reminds me of Beth's decision-making. She royally fucks up and then she does her best in heroic efforts to rail it back in, right? She cheats on Tina. She has this affair with the plumber. And then once she's finally ready to like pull herself out, she is ready to be the best possible person. She's ready to be the best partner, the best mother. She's going to go to therapy. She's going to work her shit out. But where was that before, Bet? So Bet is the personification of the United States is what you're saying. A little bit. I mean, it might be <laughs> taking it to the extreme, but... No, I, no, I get what you mean. I think it's actually a very good metaphor because you're right. It is very kind of when she fucks up, she makes it up to you 500 times over I mean, and she- thinks that that takes the original pain away. Yes. When it's like, thank you, like, I'm glad that you want to be here for a kid. I'm glad that you're going to therapy. I think that'll really help you, but you still cheated on me. Yeah, like season two, she's so apologetic. She's so soft. She's so sweet to Tina and like every move, you know, and trying to get her to welcome her back with open arms. And and I think that she just sometimes doesn't, she oftentimes doesn't recognize that it's going to take time. Like you can't just, can't just make these massive wounds and then just say like, here's a big bandaid to cover it up. Like that's not <laughs> how it works. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, or like, I mean, again, I'm sure we'll get to this when we get to season two, but the fact that she basically is like, okay, I'm ready to end things with Candace now. So Tina has to be ready to take me back. Yeah, yeah. In it, when they're in Joyce Wishnia's office and she's like, what do you want from me? You know, like, how how dare you tear this family apart or whatever she says to her, those aren't the exact words. And it's like, but look at the fucking mirror. What are you talking about? Like, I just, Bet Porter... And, and, and I've said, I think I've said this before, or at least have shared this with you 
that the reason why I think I get so angry at Bet is because I have very much like lived in her frame of mind of thinking, especially that making these very destructive decisions and then trying to like come back and be like, no, it's fine because here, because I got you this thing, but like I said these very awful things to you that are going to sting forever and you're probably never going to talk to me again. But like, you should, like, it should be all good because like, I'm going to buy you dinner tonight. Like, that's not how it works. No. Not how it works. No. Like, I'm ready for this fight to be that. over. Me telling my husband, yeah. I'm ready for this fight to be over. So you need to be ready to forgive me. <laughs> oh, Brittany. Yeah. See, but I, I agree. And I think the reason I get so mad at Bet is because we see those moments where she is at her best and she is incredible mm -hmm. and so it makes the moments when she is getting herself into shit and just dropping a bomb into her life and watching it explode yeah that's where i get frustrated because she doesn't have to be yeah well and one of the things i will say is that we obviously love tibet we wouldn't be making this podcast if we didn't but the more we talk and the more we dissect every episode, and we're only in season one, we're only like halfway through, like it becomes again more evident why the divorce was believable. I see the defense a lot with, they shouldn't have been divorced, like no couple's perfect. We should have seen them go through, like, yeah, I, I get that. No couple is perfect. But the difference is, is that were Bet and Tina really willing to like do the work to get over right. the shit that was holding them back? And I just don't know that they were... Who knows what happened in those 10 years, right? But like, were they ever even on the same page about working on it? Right. And I mean, yes, we don't know what happened in those 10 years, but we do know that in the four years leading up to that, they never sat down and talked about Candace. They yeah. never sat down and talked about Henry. They never sat down and talked about Bet kidnapping Angie and all of the shit that led to Bet kidnapping Angie. Yeah. Like there was, and I feel like- They never talked about Tina's miscarriage. Right, right. Yeah, they never even talked about that. And I feel like if you haven't done it in like four or five years, you're not going to randomly do it down the line unless something triggers it and it comes up. Season six to bet, I feel like at the end of season one, they like shattered. They were like a broken vase. And I feel like season six to bet was like, they glued it back together and like they used Gorilla Glue. So it was stuck back together really yeah. strong, yeah. but it was still like glued back together. Yes. They need a new vase. Yes. And so my hope, pray and wish is that we can see them actually have some of these conversations. I mean, bottom line is like, say what you will about Marja Lewis Ryan or is it Marja Lewis Ryan? Yeah, right? Yeah. Am I putting yes. that right? It's not Ryan Lewis. Because of COVID, and if she's really like holding back on sex scenes in season two, great. This is a prime opportunity for Tina and Bet to have some fucking raw conversations for once. Yeah. Like not this bullshit where they have a quick, you know, sentimental moment and then they're fucking in the next scene. <laughs> I want to see them actually talk about the raw wounds that have brought them down season yeah. after season. Like you don't have yeah. to be a Tibet enthusiast to see that like these two have been through some really hard shit and have maybe behind the scenes, they, they want us to believe that they've worked it out, but we haven't seen it. Right. So they're not this all encompassing model couple in any respect, 
because we're not seeing them heal. Yeah. I was actually going to say something similar that in the sort of die hard Tibet has to be together and everything is ruined because of Jen Q camp. There's a lot of talk about representation and I get why we don't see LGBTQ couples. Usually we don't even see them get a happy ending. And I can see how then having a show come back and be like, psych, they're divorced now feels like a slap in the face. But I think having, like you said, sort of analyzed this a bit deeper, what I would say is that it's not good representation to have them back together in an unhealthy way. Yeah. And that I think it's as legitimate and as good on a representational front to be like, it really wasn't working. And so they left. Yes, I hope that they get back together and that we do get that representation of, you know, a couple having a long-term relationship and working it out, but they have to work it out or they haven't earned it. And then to me, the representation feels hollow if they haven't earned it. It feels like it's just kind of like, here you go, lesbians, like, you've been really fucking annoying about this, so just take your gay couple and like go home. That to me feels like more of a slap in the face than like you said, actually having them sit down and get real with each other and be like, here's why it didn't work. And actually one of the compliments I will give to Gen Q that I feel like they did well in, in their couple that they had together in um, actually I would say two of the couples are one throuple and one couple in, in season one is that when I think of Sophie and Danny like it's clear they also have their own set of issues right but Mm. I think that they're showing them in their highs and lows in a more productive manner than we ever saw Tibet like it wasn't like every apology ended in them just having sex because I feel like that's what they focus on a lot with Tibet especially in the original series early on or not even early on like later on when we see them having an affair and such in season five but same with Alice and Nat and Gigi, there were these glaring issues, right? There was this like ugly divorce between Nat and Gigi and then Alice and her jealousy issues, but also wanting to make Nat happy and things like that. And like, I feel like they did a good job of showing that yes, couples can go through shit, but they can also work through shit. Right. And I think that part of it is that we didn't see a lot of that in the original Tibet era in the original series so it's going to be hard to put that like work in and like again still make the fan base happy because for me even as someone who loves Tibet I don't want to see them together if they're just going to be on the same old bullshit that they've always been on agreed yeah they're going to come together because of an affair or they're going to have the same miscommunication issues or Beth's going to try to control Tina I don't want to see that yeah and I think Honestly, I don't think it would be true to who they are anymore. Right. They were mature enough to recognize that they needed to get a divorce and recognize that they were going to be better parents being apart. Because ultimately, I don't think either of them would have ever made that choice if they thought it was going to, like, say, put Angie in jeopardy. And I don't think it has. Right. So, uh, yeah, I want to see Tibet together in the end. However many seasons we get of Gen Q, and I hope that they're getting a lot of screen time this season 
But if they're going to be on the same old bullshit, I don't want to see that, you know, like, I guess I would rather see them in like happy functional relationships with other people. Yeah. Or their characters can like truly show that they've grown. Yeah, I would agree. It would suck and it would hurt, but like, you're right. It would feel less shitty than them not having grown at all. Mm. And, and a couple of things that give me hope on that front. One, that one of, I think, Marge's strengths as a writer and a showrunner is that she seems to have kind of tracked, at least personality-wise, like, yes, some of the plot things have kind of fallen through the cracks, but personality-wise, she seems to have really thought about who would these people be 10 years on from the last time we saw them. So I think that she is a writer who does really try to stay true to her characters. And I know that Jennifer and Laurel have always been and will always be Bet and Tina's biggest champions. Oh, absolutely. Individually and together. And I don't think to know that they sat down, the two of them sat down with Marja and with Eileen and specifically said the divorce did not happen because of an affair. No one cheated. We do not want that. Mm-hmm. Gives me some hope that if it does happen, it won't be that way. Sure. So maybe that's my optimist blinders on. I don't know. But one of our Twitter friends, Francesca, always says, trust the process trust the cast and crew. And I think that's kind of where I'm trying to be with season two right now. Yeah. I do actually have a lot of hope and faith that they're, that they are like putting together a really good plot for Tibet Mm -hmm. in season two. And I think that they are going to have what they have been given is this gift of I mean, this tragedy of a pandemic, but also just like this gift of time of Laurel's time that, yeah. like, she can be involved. Because, you know, if they go on to make more seasons, who's to say that, like, Laurel's even going to be able to be a part of it? Right. It just might not happen. So I really do hope that they use that time to, like, flesh out these issues, tell us more about what happened. Maybe yeah. some fucking throwback scenes. I'd love to know, like, what happened in those 10 years, right? Yeah. So I think the fact that Laurel has been there as much as she has is a good sign. Yep. I really don't think, especially after hearing her on Pan's Pod talk about how she missed part of the reason she left acting, besides the fact that her painting took off, was that she didn't want to be on a show that wasn't making a difference. And so I think that similarly, even though it is the L word, I don't think Laurel would have A, come back at all, but B, definitely would not be back for it. It seems like a fairly significant portion of season two. Oh, okay. yeah, it's hard to tell because of fucking block shooting, but like, yeah. I'm guessing probably, at least four episodes. Yeah, that I was the number I had in my head too, which is yeah. almost half the season. Yeah. So, and I don't think she would be in that much if she didn't like what they were doing with Tina. Yeah. So as this, going back to the, the show. Um, to this, the episode so, we're supposed to be yeah. talking about? Yeah. So they're having this like intense conversation and then Tina's just like fed up and says she's going to go home. Yeah. And then when Melvin says to her, like, I'm sorry, you're not feeling well. 
I just put a note here that says asshole, like spaces yeah. in between every letter. Like, fuck you, man. Yeah. You know what gets me about that scene that I always forget until I watch it again? How fucking funny that waiter is. Oh, I know. I know. His timing is just incredible. Like, dude, read the room. Like, I have been a server. If I saw those faces at a table I was serving, I would be like, you know what? Just wave at me when you're ready. I'll give you guys time. Yeah. So the dinner wraps up. Hold on one more. I don't know why I want to talk about the sad shit, but one more thing about that dinner scene I want to talk about is that absolutely fucking heartbreaking moment when Bette pulls her hand away. Kills me. Kills me. And I, I think I wrote, oh, where did I put it? Oh, I said that I don't think it's Melvin that makes Tina feel less than I think it's how Bet acts around Melvin because Tina, especially growing up in the South, Tina's used to bigotry. Yeah. She's not used to the person that she's with being ashamed of her. Right. Right. And I think that's where a lot of the pain comes in is that it's hard, even if she knows Bet and she knows where this behavior is coming from, mm-hmm. it has to be hard to have your basically wife Mm -hmm. act like she's ashamed to be with you right right okay so they wrap up this dinner and bet goes to kit to i don't know what she thought (laughs) i know like bet what did you think did you think kit was gonna be like oh wow i can't believe dad was such an asshole like yep they, you know they have a terrible relationship. I'm not oh, yeah. sure what you were expecting, but which just goes back to like, it's like Kit always calls it Bet World, right? Yep. <laughs> like, she really does sometimes, it feels like, live on a different planet. Yep. 100%. And on Bet's planet, Kit was going to be like, oh, baby, it's okay. Like, I'm yeah. sorry he did that to you. But she just told her how it was. Yeah. And at the end of their conversation, when Bet says, I have to go, and Kit says, yeah, you do. <laughs> like, get the fuck out of here. Amazing. Amazing. But like I said before, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite scenes of the whole series is when Kit approaches Melvin at the end of the episode. And she is defending Bet, and she is letting Melvin know that if you don't get on board, you're going to lose your daughter. Yeah. Um, the same way that you lost me. Yep. Yep. Like that image that when she says, like, do you want to open the door 13 years later and see your daughter's face older and a stranger's? That's, that's like fun shit right there. Yeah. yeah. And, and the thing that I wrote down is that what an act of love that is from Kit. A, because honestly, I doubt that Bet knows she did it. Right. You know, to this day, like, I doubt Kit told her. Right. And Melvin certainly didn't tell her. And so Kit just, and Kit hates Melvin at yeah. this point. Yeah. And she still, knowing that she is going to have to deal with all of that shit that she gets from him, yeah. she takes that hit for Bet. Yeah. And I think that is such an act of love. And I, oh, totally. obviously, I get why kit didn't tell her but i wish 
vet knew that somebody loved her that much. And just props to Pam Greer. She is just such an amazing, amazing actor. We see like so many waves in, in like emotions and seasons of Kit throughout the series. Yeah. But like at the core, like she just truly loves the people that are close to her with, and she'll do, you know, that in her share that, that love and that fierce protection over the people that they, they care about you know, entirely. And that was a, that was an example of it. Yeah. I think one of the lines from that scene that I thought was really interesting was when she told Melvin, don't take your anger over what happened between us out on bet. She's been hurt enough by that. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting because, you know, in an earlier episode, we had that implication that like Melvin would yell at bet for like shit that Kit did. And For Kit to be aware of that and to say, like, we've both fucked up and we need to stop hurting her. Yeah. Is huge. Well, and and one of the things, you know, that makes so much sense in why Bet is always so adamant about having such fierce control as an adult is that everything was out of her control when she was younger. You know, like, she had her mom who left her older sister who probably for most of what she can remember was, you know, kind of a loose cannon. Yeah. We know that she, you know, was not sober for a long time and she was out of Beth's life. Probably even before that, she probably had her own set of issues that she was going through with like school and conflict with Melvin, whatever. And having then, a kid. Yeah. Having a kid. And then seeing this separation between her parents, her mom's gone, like I said, and then also she has these like standards that she's being held to by her father and like her father is thinking that somehow success is love. I don't know. Like that's the equation. Yeah. How successful you are apparently determines your worth. Yeah. And, and, and so Bet has no control. None. Right. Right. And she wasn't out until she was in college. So. Right. And even then, I mean, how out do we think she really was? Like, yeah. you know, Melvin was calling at least every like Sunday being like, how are your grades? How are your classes? Are you studying? Like, when are your exams? How are you doing? How are your professors? Like, I doubt he let go when she was in college. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. So I think that, like I said, this episode, while we didn't have like a ton of Tibet screen time, I think that what we had in the scenes that we saw with Kit especially, whether it was Kit with Tina or Bet or Melvin, um, were pretty significant in like the dynamics of the Porter family and gave more insight into why Bet acts the way that she does, why she has this anxiety when it comes to her dad, and and we just see that grow over time. And one of the things like like I said, I can appreciate about Bet is that as the episodes go on and we see more interaction with her dad, she definitely stands up for herself and her relationship more. Yeah. I think about that line in season two when she says, you know, my relationship of eight years just ended and it was every bit as meaningful to me as your relationship with my mother was to you. Yeah. She does get there. She does. She does. But we got to go through a lot more fucked up shit in season one before we even delve into that era of time. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, some of my least favorite, like, encounters of this series are on their way, and I'm just... 
is usually what I skip over when I'm doing is that is that Candace what who is that like Candace and just like all of it like the way that Bet and Tina Bet especially like really starts pushing Tina away and like Tina is just like so hopelessly in love with Bet and just like wants Mm. to make it work but like she's recognizing that like Bet is just is you know she is who she is and she's putting her whole heart and soul into her job and oh so this has been episode nine of all things to bet just a reminder that if you want to tweet about this episode when it airs you can tweet hashtag all things to bet pod yes oh also i meant to do this at the beginning of the episode and i didn't we have monetized our podcast now and so if you go to the anchor page there's this little button that'll say support and it kind of works just like patreon like you can put in a certain amount a month and just to help support the podcast, help support. This will, this will support us maybe one day paying for someone else to edit and yeah. translate our podcast episodes. Let's just put yeah. it that way. <laughs> yeah, that's that would be because a good use of our resources. At this moment in time, we are the ones that are doing that. And it is Yeah, we are the time. entire team. Yes, we are it. We are the creators, the writers, the producers, the editors, and the hosts. So yeah. So, you know, I mean, again, I know it's really tight right now. No pressure, but I just wanted to vocalize in an episode that that button is there. And should you choose to support us, we would be very grateful. And we'll make a further announcement about this, but there is, for those that attended Elcon, L Word After Dark, with Ash Silver, Bet and, and Tina House of Stir Fry in the L Word online. And we all got together on like a Friday night and joined her live and just kind of took questions from people as they were writing in and talked about our own experiences within the fandom and like theories for season two of Gen Q. So we, we are going to have part two to that or another kind of gathering in May. So we will put those details out when they're finalized. It might even be finalized now, but we'll share that information on social media. Just a reminder that we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Welcome back. We're back. We <laughs> got several weeks to get here, but we're back. So once again, this has been episode nine of All Things Tibet. I'm Brittany. I'm Taylor. And we'll see you next time. episode of All Things Tibet podcast hosted by Taylor and Brittany. At this time, we do not have any sponsorships, but if you're interested in sponsoring us, please send us an email at allthingstibet at gmail.com. We can be found on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under All Things Tibet podcast, and you can check out our main podcast profile at anchor.fm slash allthingstibet. We post new episodes every Tuesday, and we send all of our love to the Tibet fandom for their support during this time as we get this brand new podcast off the ground. We will see you next week.